last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Do you mind me busting your balls? No, not at all. If you can handle that in stride, it so ingratiates you with the audience. They fucking love that. And Dorsett, Perriman. These are first round picks. I'm talking about first round picks. This is why wide receivers are terrifying. And he looks like an NFL quarterback. And I know that's a trigger word for a lot of people on Twitter. And Jim Drunkenmiller. Yes, plays like he's a quarterback who happens to be drunk that day. And that the Jets go from Christian Hackenberg to Josh Allen. <laughs> well, they have Petty, right? That's the other guy, Petty. <laughs> and, ooh, yes, Gallup, yes. Does he actually gallop when he runs? Because if he looks like a horse when he's running, that would be amazing to me. And Tom Brady, get over yourself. W-E-E-I, get over yourselves. I love Tom Brady. I'm a Patriots fan. But you had to get the fuck out of here with the shit. Welcome to another episode of the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. It's your pal, Ryan Lopes. You can catch me on Twitter, at StillRyan5. With me, as always, you guys already know the deal, the Roto Underworld boss himself, the Podfather. Catch him on Twitter, at Fantasy underscore Mansion. Mr. Matt Kelly. Matt, what's the word, bro? What's going on? That was a very cool intro. I imagine you reclining as your... (laughs) Hands on the head. (laughs) As you're dropping that intro. Gotta make Nate proud, man. Oh, he's proud about that. That was smooth. <laughs> that wasn't smooth. That was smooth. That was a smooth intro. Ryan Lopes. <laughs> Listen, man, I'm 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 stoked to be here. Seriously, it's uh, I've been uh, again bullshitting with you and, uh, and 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 Nate for a while now, and obviously avid listener, avid fan of everything that you're that you're spinning over here, man. Hot take, otherwise. So uh, stoked to sit back. Talk some ball, talk some 2018 running backs. When the fan becomes the host on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. So you caught this game that we had on Sunday, right? It's a Super Bowl contest that the NFL treated us to, and it was a treat, was it not? It was a, there was, there was a lot of points for, for a season that was devoid of them at points. There was a ton of points. Woo! Very enjoyable. That was like a good massage. That was a sports massage. I really enjoyed it, except for the Malcolm Butler benching. I mean, I could talk about this on 10 consecutive podcasts because I am so enraged by this decision because all the coach needs to do is get out of the way and let talented players do talented things. And Bill Belichick ripped victory out of the hands of the Patriots. And I'm not sure if they'll be back. It's very difficult for me to imagine this Patriots team matching up against and beating a team of the caliber of the Philadelphia Eagles mm-hmm. next year with Carson Wentz at quarterback instead of Nick Foles and another year to develop their talent and add more pieces in free agency in the NFL draft. For me, this is a train that is leaving the station and they're moving at speed and the Patriots are stationary just watching this locomotive disappear into the distance. This is where you talk. <laughs> Listen, man, I uh, 
I, again, I'm probably one of the many that are, you know, happy to see the Patriots stumble. You know what I mean? But as we, as we talked about, as everyone's been talking about, man, the Malcolm Butler thing is, is just perplexing. There's, there's no reason to it. There's, there seems to be a little bit of finger pointing going on, you know, Malcolm's side versus Bill's side. Did he miss curfew? Did he not miss curfew? Miss curfew? You're on bench for the entire game for missing a curfew. You gotta rob a bank to be benched for the entire Super Bowl if you're one of the key pieces, if you're one of the key defenders on a team devoid of talented defenders, you need to commit grand theft to get benched for the Super Bowl. Get the fuck out of here. What was it? One one or two special team snaps for him? That's it? One. 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 I refuse to believe it was a curfew issue. There's absolutely no way. I would never forgive Bill Belichick for that, ever, ever, ever. See, Tom Brady knows the truth. Tom Brady knows what happens. And the fans deserve to know what happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm offended by the decision itself and then the lack of transparency after the fact. But Tom Brady knows. And you know that Tom Brady is consumed with smoldering rage right now. Wherever he is right now, he is sullen and consumed with smoldering rage. Because he knows, he knows Malcolm Butler's benching was not justified. It was the result of pure hubris, flippant arrogance by an NFL head coach that has jumped the shark. Has this has this gone to the top of your list as far? Because we've seen we've seen Bill. I can't believe this happened. I'm I'm <laughs> days have gone by and I'm still furious. <laughs> Fuck Bill Belichick. <laughs> Bills are in the right to kind of you know step outside the box, so to speak. Not this these, one. Uh, Not and, this I, time. And I definitely agree with you. Do you think this is the most? I guess I'm going to put it in air quotes here. Is this the most controversial? What if he benched Tom Brady? Would he have to explain that? Yeah, you're right. Where is the threshold for transparency? Where? Where? When is transparency required? Tell me. Again, this so to me this is this has to be this is again to your point. This is this is arrogance to a to a to to a different level. This is arrogance from 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 Bill. No, I've never seen this level of arrogance in sports. It's never been seen before. And when you reach these heights as an organization, as a leader of men in the biggest sport in the world, they're now closing in on a 20-year dynasty. Mm -hmm. The Patriots have been the sole dynasty the last two decades. There's been one team and one team alone in the NFL that qualifies for dynasty status, and that is the New England Patriots. They got their own. That's right. And so this is how hubris builds builds over time until you become bill belichick and you are accountable to no one and you believe that you are infallible that you can implement the most draconian punishments for behavior and answer to no one well fuck that as as a patriots fan this one kind of leaves a little sour taste in your mouth you think (laughs) you think yes yes the david tyree catch was a fluke That final drive by Eli Manning included the best throws in the history of the NFL, specifically the sideline throw to Mario Manningham. Mm -hmm. This one, this one, this one had no explanation, and it sounds like we will never get one until Malcolm Butler writes his fucking memoir. So 10 years from now, maybe, if Malcolm Butler decides to write a memoir, we'll find out. He's got a title that, like, Thanks for Nothing, Bill, or something like that. Yeah, Thanks for Nothing, Bill by Malcolm Butler. 
<laughs> I'll be waiting in line outside Sign the Barnes copy. & Noble, if Barnes & Noble even exists at that point. <laughs> 10 or 12 years. I'll pre-order it online at the very least. Cheer me up, Ryan. <laughs> Talk to me about this 2018 running back class. Because I'm excited about it. I feel like it's very similar to the 2015 class, which filled my heart with glee. This show, my Tevin Coleman gliding across the Serengeti rant, (laughs) launched this podcast to the heights that it has reached. Do you believe that the 2018 running back class is similar to that 2015 epic RB class? I absolutely do, man. And you know, you uh, yeah. you kicked me the you kicked me the show sheet a couple of days ago, and 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 that was the first time that kind of stood out to me. And I was I was stoked to see you write something like that, man, because you can you can easily draw those 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 parallels, man. In this in this 2018 class, you have first of all, you got athletes that that just pop everywhere, and oh, yeah. uh, and and obviously fans fans of this fans of this pod fans of your work know that athletes uh, athleticism matters. So check. Check that box a couple times with this uh, with this uh, 2018 class. You got you got backs of all of all flavors, man. You got you got some power runners. You got guys that are light in their feet. Um, a lot of these backs, man. Most importantly, can catch the rock, which matters, you know. So you got you got you got pass catchers. You got athletes. Um, and I mean, we could we can we can jog some folks' memory here and and talk about obviously 2015 class. Gurley, Gordon, you know, Coleman, your boy Coleman, Yeldon. I don't want to talk about Yeldon a little bit, though, right? David Johnson, some guy named David Johnson was was Yeldon's making a comeback. Yes, <laughs> Yeldon's Yeldon's making a comeback. Yes, you got he David is. Johnson making a comeback. Uh, you got guys like Buck Allen who were you know catching balls. Uh, some guy named Duke Johnson who Hugh Jackson doesn't like for whatever reason. Uh, the most efficient running back in the NFL the last two seasons. Yeah, that Duke Johnson. Yeah, yeah, decent, decent, decent football player. Jay Ajayi, Super Bowl winner, champion. Jay Ajayi traded traded to the Super Bowl team. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, dude. This this 2018 class, um, you're gonna be able to, to, to kind of circle these circle these names from that. You know, from that. Well, there were some to- busts in that draft, though, right? There were. Who were some busts in that draft? Oof. Langford, people were high on Langford, right? Jeremy Langford, oof. Remember him? What about Matt Jones? Oof. Remember Matt Jones? Carlos Williams? <laughs> oof, right? Carlos Williams was the most efficient running back pre Duke Johnson and was cut the next year because he ate himself out of the league. Gained a little bit of weight. He failed his conditioning test, was cut, and he could not pass another conditioning test. I mean, this guy, wow. He set a record for obesity-based <laughs> failure. And what's worse, he blamed it on his pregnant significant other. The root of the weight gain, he claimed, was that he was empathizing with her pregnancy. Like, that happened. Hopefully we don't we don't have any of those cases that are they're going to pop up out of this out of this 2018 class, man. But we can we can we can start right from the top here, Matt. I mean, the 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 top three, you and I were in lockstep as far as, and I I, I want to feel as though this is kind of the consensus going into things. It's 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 one of three names at the top. Um, I- inside those inside that, that that top three, you got you got Saquon Barkley, who to me. Um, I think a lot of people have kind of cooled on, uh, but to me, still a borderline transcendent, if not a transcendent talent. Wait, wait, who would cool on Saquon Barkley? Is this just the fickle draft Nick culture that they overwhelm themselves with Saquon Barkley tape early? And then <laughs> as the offseason grinds on, they just become weary of Saquon Barkley and they move on to the next crush to hype. Yeah, it's uh, it's the it's it's the same cycle for the <laughs> for the most part. But, you know, a lot of people are looking at 
you know, box scores, which is, which is interesting to me. These, these, these box score scouts, you know, he only hit a hundred yards. I want to say four, maybe five games. So a lot of people are, for whatever reason, red flag, you know what I mean? He's not, he's not consistently filled with the box scores. They're going to also tell you that, you know, Barkley for being a 230 pound back with phenomenal athleticism, 230 pounds. Uh, he doesn't like contact is his was what they're going to tell you, man. What? Uh, yeah, these are, these are, these are real life takes. If you like contact, that means you like getting tackled. Who likes getting tackled? Saquon Barkley doesn't like getting tackled. That's a ridiculous comment by whoever made it. They're positioning the act of getting tackled as a positive trait. The fuck? They're saying what that kind he of doesn't... opposite world are these <laughs> draft zombies living in? They're gonna tell you that he doesn't run with enough power behind his pads. <laughs> <laughs> That's what their thumbs are gonna type, and they're gonna type all this. They're gonna hit tweet, and they're gonna and they're gonna, and they're gonna see what happens. I mean, five point nine yards per carry was not inefficient. That's what you want. You want a guy running for six yards a carry. Anything higher than six yards a carry, and it's likely scheme driven and offensive line driven. Think about Melvin Gordon at Wisconsin. Yards per carry, well over seven. I mean, that is going to happen, but it's not a requirement that you exceed seven yards a carry. Hell, Le'Veon Bell's yards per carry at Michigan State was below five. So 5.9 yards per carry in his final season is great for Saquon Barkley. What matters with Saquon Barkley is two straight seasons with 18 touchdowns, two straight seasons over 1,200 yards, two straight seasons with 18 touchdowns, and his final season with 50 Four receptions. That's the number we like to highlight. Not 24. Mm-mm. Not 34. Not, 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 not 44. <laughs> 54 receptions. And this is from a running back who stands 5'11", weighs 230 pounds, and will be one of the best athletes at the NFL Scouting Combine. Book it. Easily. 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 This He is a far superior prospect mm-hmm. to Ezekiel Elliott. You would agree. Agreed. 100% agreed. We haven't seen a running back prospect like him ever because not only is he rolling up yards on offense, he's rolling up an additional 500 yards on special teams. He's playing special teams. This is what we want from our skill position players, running backs and receivers, to show that they can succeed in all areas of the football field. It's a positive indicator when a player succeeds in special teams. He also has to want to play special teams. So Saquon Barkley is a willing special teams player that excels in space. Isn't that what you want? A big running back who excels in space, who's exceptionally athletic and is an excellent pass catcher. Gimme, 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 gimme. I haven't seen a back like this before. I've never seen a back like Saquon Barkley. He is a once a generation running back. He's the 101 and it's not close. It's not close. Not close. Who's number two? Number two, man. Again, you and I, same page. Guy from Louisiana State who was a lot better than the guy from Louisiana State last year. Oh, yeah. Darius Darius Geis. Oh, yes. Far superior to Leonard Fournette. Easily. Yeah. Again, this is... It, easily. Easily. It's it's easily. Easily. Uh, but it, it is interesting that they do have... Uh, again, it's going to sound nitpicky because um, he is such a fantastic process, prospect, but... A lot of people, myself included, to an extent, are going to question the hands. I thought this season under under offensive coordinator Matt Canada, we would see a lot more tape to kind of go off of, you know, as far as his usage there. So um, I don't know if it's a question of, of are his hands good as, as, as much as I wish we just kind of saw more. Well, 18 receptions. Not bad. 
It's not under 10. It's not Derrick Henry bad. He showed adequate pass-catching ability. And that's all you need from a Darius Geis to prove that he can be a workhorse back in the NFL. That's all you're looking for. Because he has the size. He has the athleticism. He has the ability to run outside the tackles and between the tackles successfully. We know all this. The 18 receptions this season was critical to see him be active in the passing game to a degree and at least post requisite reception totals Mm -hmm. to feel comfortable taking him in that 102 spot. And he should be locked in to that 102 spot. And if he's not locked in there now, he certainly will be locked in there after the NFL scouting combine where he is going to shred. He's going to go sub 4, 540. His speed score is going to be well into the 90th percentile. And at that point, everyone will be pushing the button on Darius Geis at 102. There's not there, there's not a back in this class. Um, if you want to get real kind of cliche and kind of coach speaky about it, there's not a back in this class, man, that that runs angrier, that 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 mm-hmm. runs with more. You know, this this dude is out here, man, looking to looking to hurt, you know, defenders um, and stuff like that excites me, man. It doesn't excite me. I'd rather them avoid the tackle, like we said with Saquon Barkley. But it shows that Darius Geis is set up on day one to be a successful between-the-tackles runner. And you'll see, and he'll post the athleticism at the scouting combine to show that he can be an outside-the-tackles runner. And then it's just a question of drawing up some screenplays for him and letting him run wild in all game situations. And I think that he will go in the first round because I think there's a real RB thirst at the NFL level. I think that's what NFL general managers and fantasy general managers share, this zeal for the running back. Everyone, fantasy gamers and NFL executives, are perceiving and are excited about this NFL RB renaissance. And so for that reason, I think there's multiple running backs will get drafted in the first round, and I believe that fantasy gamers may draft both Saquon Barkley and Darius Geis in the first round of redraft leagues. That could happen. That would be the first time in a long time that we see two rookies going in the first round in consensus redraft ADP. Who do you got at number three? Number three, man. This is again. I was stoked to see you on the same page as me, but this is this is where I fear that that you and I might differ a bit from kind of the kind of the pack mentality at the moment, man. This this kid, Nick Chubb, man. Back in back in 2014, I I don't think I saw a more exciting player in in no. in, in college football. No, you didn't. He was the best back that season. So obviously, we know about the ankle or the uh, the, the 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 knee injury. In the SEC that year, 2015, Nick Chubb posted 8.1 yards per carry. It's decent. It's a, it's a decent mark. We talked earlier about how an air raid spread attack can inflate running back yards per carry. We talked about how an exceptional offensive line can inflate running back yards per carry, particularly at the college level. But Nick Chubb was running in a pro-style offense against SEC competition at Georgia in 2015, and he rolled up 8.1 yards per carry. (laughs) You want to expand the sample size? Well, he had more than 200 carries as a freshman, 7.1 yards per carry. (laughs) This guy... And in that freshman season, Nick Chubb did what we asked Darius Geis to do, show that he can be active and competent in the passing game because in 2014, Nick Chubb caught 18 passes. So I believe he is an adequate receiver and he has the build, the athleticism, 
the skill set in between the tackles and outside the tackles, and the requisite pass-catching ability to be an NFL bell cow. So when you look at the top of this running back class, you see Saquon Barkley, you see Darius Geis, you see Nick Chubb. It's conceivable understanding the irrational exuberance that is gripping NFL general managers, just as it's gripping fantasy gamers. The zeal to draft the running back may propel three running backs into the top 10 of the NFL draft this season, including Saquon Barkley possibly going at number one. That's all on the table this season, thanks to the success of Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Leonard Fournette. Three consecutive running backs drafted in the top 10 have been deemed successes by most NFL executives and therefore, the running back is seen as the safe play in the draft, the high floor option. So I think you'll see more teams try to follow the path of the Rams and the Cowboys and the Jacksonville Jaguars, change their identity by drafting a running back in the top 10. It doesn't matter that running back is a relatively expendable position. It's just what's in vogue. I think running back is in vogue right now because of this running back renaissance and No one should be surprised when three running backs, specifically Barkley, Geis, and Chubb, are drafted in the top 10. Going back to the point about testing in the combine and stuff like that, man, people, I think people will get so caught up with Chubb's injury and, and kind of, you know, their own narratives that they kind of spin around that, man. What are the narratives? What are the narratives? Remind us. You know, you know what they say, right? It's, uh, oh, you know, he doesn't. He... <laughs> no. Well, tell us what do they say? Ryan, you are very plugged into the draft analyst community mm-hmm. and hashtag draft Twitter. <laughs> the Sonic Truth audience is not necessarily as plugged in as you are. So you need to share with us what the draftnik drones are saying <laughs> on social media. Tell us. There are there are legitimate concerns about his, you know, I guess mentality about how he approaches runs, you know, for someone that has his size uh, is is the injury. Oh, that he doesn't look for contact similar to Saquon Barkley. Right, right. He's running scared out there. Right, right. right, There you go. It's the it's the same kind of recycled stuff that we hear every year, right? About yeah, yeah, yeah. About, about some of these kids. <laughs> okay, it sounds great. <laughs> but what we know about Nick Chubb is he suffered a catastrophic leg injury that typically would take a year to rehabilitate from. He was back on the field and started all 13 games in 2016, albeit at less than 100%. We would all agree with that. Mm-hmm. And even this year, you could argue he was not yet fully back. But next year, 2018, at the professional level, he will be three years removed from that leg injury. And I think we will see, for the first time, on an NFL football field, 2015 Georgia Bulldog Nick Chubb. And that prospect is tantalizing because Nick Chubb is going to shred the combine. We know Saquon Barkley will be a size-speed specimen at the Combine. We know Darius Geis will be a size-speed specimen at the Combine. But watch Nick Chubb exceed both Barkley and Geis. Certainly shatter all expectations. Not only at the 40, but the burst events and the agility events. Watch Nick Chubb be one of, if not the best athlete of this running back group. So you may think at this point, oh, I might be able to get Nick Chubb in the late first round of my rookie draft. (laughs) For now, yes, 
if your rookie draft is before the combine, but after the combine, forget about it. Nick Chubb is legitimately an alien, man. Who do you have at number four? Number four, man, this is this is kind of where our our paths diverge a little bit here. Yes, because we agree mm-hmm. one, two, three, Barkley, Geis, Chubb. But now our respective rankings will start to diverge. So for me at four, I like personally, I got John Kelly out of Tennessee. That's my RB4 at the moment. Okay. Why do you like John Kelly? John Kelly, man, is per our friends at PFF, if I can drop a PFF stat. So my buddy Austin Gale over there. So John Kelly, for those that aren't familiar, sits at 5'9", about 212. So a lot of people are worried about the 5'9". But what I do want to bring up from our friends at at PFF, John Kelly earned 78.28% because, you know, PFF's nice with the decimals and all that. Total of his rushing yards after contact in 2017, which is the third highest amongst FBS running backs with 100 plus carries. So what I'm looking at when I watch a guy like John Kelly run, man, is this guy again. I know you don't you don't you don't like the contact, but 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 this kid is inviting contact and and, and he's working through contact. So a kid that is going to get the size knocks. Right. You know why I'm not a big fan of the running backs that look for contact at the college level, because it's one thing to truck a defender at the college level. You can't truck the same defenders at the professional level. Fair enough. You try to face up a defender and run him over at the professional level as you would in college. You're going to get hurt. It's not a good idea. You're better off being evasive. Just ask Minnesota's David Cobb. But I understand that a willingness to force missed tackles has value. Absolutely. And what you're saying is John Kelly's 4.1 yards per carry at Tennessee last season is a red flag. Talked about how you can explain away Le'Veon Bell's sub 5-0 yards per carry at Michigan State. Well, that was because he saw huge volume on a one-dimensional offense. Yeah, well, John Kelly didn't exceed 200 carries. Mm -hmm. So his yards per carry was not driven down by volume. Your argument is that Tennessee's offense was so anemic and their offensive line was so inefficient at run blocking that even the 4.1 yards per carry is impressive because so much of his yardage was gained after contact. Boom. I'm also flipping the other side of the box score there, man, too. In in 2017, 37 receptions. There it is. That's a nice number. There it is. That's what you're looking for. Natural hands. I'm still not sold on John Kelly as an every-down player in the NFL. And for that reason, I don't have him in my top five. I have Rashad Penny at four because I think Rashad Penny fits the profile of an NFL bell cow. I don't see that with John Kelly. He doesn't have the size at 5'9", 205, and he doesn't have the college production to warrant an every-down role in the NFL as a rookie. I just don't see it. You believe he can be an every-down player on day one in the NFL? I do, and I think, uh, again, it's just, to me, it's... uh, it's it's a cliche and uh but 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 running but running the way he runs uh he's he's only 59 quote unquote only 59 but but even at the next level man I just I just don't think from what I've seen size is not a deterrent for him uh contact isn't a deterrent for him his balance I'm not saying his balance is you know his teammate Alvin Kamara at one point good I'm not saying it's even Kareem Hunt good but his balance stands out balance to me uh is a very important trait um, and, 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 and his balance definitely, you know, is, is going to move to the next level. Sigmund Bloom, uh, had a really interesting comparison. He, he, he said he reminded him of 
Duke Johnson. Right. Duke Johnson, satellite back, whose team refuses to play him in an every down role. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, if, if it is that Hugh Jackson being Hugh Jackson or that is that like an it's just an honest assessment of his size and what he brings to the table. I think you probably argue both ways. Well, I think it's also a false comparison because Sigmund Bloom clearly isn't familiar with something called counting stats. I mean, just the basics would tell you that there's no comparison. Duke Johnson is the University of Miami's all-time leading rusher. John Kelly has 1,500 yards total in his career. So for that reason, the two players are not comparable. You can compare them stylistically, but we could never comp them analytically at player profiler because of the wide disparity in their college production. So Sigmund Bloom needs to get the fuck out of here with that comparison. Now... Rashad Penny needs to be the number four running back on anyone's list because he was the leading rusher in college football last year with over 2,200 yards. But even though he received 289 carries, still posted 7.8 yards per carry. So to post such a high yards per carry, getting huge volume is magnificent. And then he also showed what Darius Geis and Nick Chubb showed, which was the ability to be active in the passing game and to be competent catching the football with the 19 receptions for 135 receiving yards. So he did just enough in the passing game to prove, hey, I can be a bell cow at the NFL level. I stand 5'11", 220. I handled a giant workload. I was active enough in the passing game. So you airdrop me in the NFL. I can earn a three-down roll on day one. That's critical for me when I'm doing my rankings at this point in the pre-draft process because I haven't seen the athleticism of these players yet. If Rashad Penny flunks the combine, then we can have another conversation. We can revisit this. But assuming Rashad Penny tests well, tests on par with Melvin Gordon, runs a 4-5-5, above average burst, above average agility, nothing exceptional, but no athleticism red flags, well, pencil him into the number four slot. Are you convinced? You've changed it, right? You've already moved Rashad Penny <laughs> up your rankings. I'm, I'm, I'm over here deleting John Kelly's name out already, Matt. That's it. That's it. And at number five, we agree, right? We both have Ronald Jones at number five. What do you like about Ronald Jones? Our fork in the road, we've all, we've, we both come back together. Yes, we've reconverged. Yes, Ronald Jones. He is electric. What does Sigmund Bloom think of Ronald Jones? <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm sure Sig has tweeted out some. Uh, some. Uh... Ronald Jones reminds Sigmund Bloom of Reggie Bush. Right. 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 <laughs> I don't know Sig's Ronald Jones two take yet, but I will say the most popular comparison that that you're gonna find out there uh, is Jamal Charles. A lot of people see the. <laughs> they see. They see the number and they see the hair, bro, and Woo! they automatically assume that's. That's Jamal Charles. I love it. You know? He looks like Jamal Charles on the football field. Stylistically, I'm with it. I'm with that comp. I'm all in on Ronald Jones. He's my number five running back. RB5. The, the, the thing that I like the most about Ronald Jones, um, there were legitimate questions kind of coming into the season regarding his his build. Uh, NFL Draft Scout has him listed at 5'11", 195. From what I've been told, he he played closer to around 210 this season. And I think if you if you throw on the, the 2017 film, the the power uh, the power was was definitely there. So to me, that was kind of one box that was left unchecked that I was really happy to see him check. I think that we obviously nobody can do in space. We know he's an electric. He's he's a Marlon Mack type home run hitter. Yes, I love the Marlon Mack comp. Yes, he is this combination of Marlon Mack and Jamal Charles. I love that Franken comp. 
And so to see him to see him check off kind of the the between the tackles kind of and kind of answer those those questions to me, uh, if 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 anyone had him at at higher than RB five, I'm not sure I'm really necessarily arguing with them. And I think he's gonna have a pretty decent combine as well. So oh yeah, all three seasons at USC was five point nine yards per carry or above. Last season became their workhorse, well over fifteen hundred yards but didn't catch as many passes as I expected him to. When I looked at Ronald Jones before the college season began, I thought this is one of the best satellite backs in the country, and then he went out and caught 14 passes. We just have to assume that Ronald Jones is a quality pass catcher just just based on his prototypical satellite back build and athleticism. Am I right? Agreed. Summed it up nicely. How athletic do you think Ronald Jones is? I mean, again, I think I think I think he's going to test. Gosh, man, for his size, I mean, you have to you have to expect four fours, right? I mean, that's kind of that's that's kind of the type of runner he is. Um, if not a bit, if not a bit, a bit quicker than that. Woo! I'm guessing his agility will be above the 80th percentile. What about Sony Michelle? How's he going to test? Because he's my number six back. Yep, and uh, and that's uh, again for me, man. So Sony Michelle is interesting. I personally have had a really hard time kind of getting getting a read on him. Um, to answer your question, I think he's going to test fine. He's not a full time player. That's why we can't have him in the top five because he's not a full time player. If he was a full time player at another school, you could easily see him being the number four back in this class. But he just doesn't have the production to justify being in the top five. I have to imagine you, you and I are both obviously pretty happy. 2015, 2016, 26 catches and 22 catches respectively. That's it's notable. Well, what I like to do with players like Sony Michelle that have sporadic usage throughout their career because they're playing behind an All-American in Nick Chubb is create an amalgam of their college career. So take their best rushing season, and that was this season, his senior year, 1,227 yards, 7.9 yards per carry. Whoa! 16 touchdowns on only 156 carries. Whoa! Amazing touchdown rate. But then go back to his sophomore season when he was standing in for Nick Chubb after Nick Chubb's leg injury, 26 receptions. So we know Sony Michelle is a quality pass catcher and a hyper-efficient runner. There's not one prospect at the NFL scouting combine I'm more excited to see test than Sony Michelle. Mm-hmm. because he could be right up there with Geis and Chubb in terms of athleticism. And then at that point, you can start making the case for him to leapfrog Ronald Jones and Rashad Penny. I think I think the one of the knocks that people are going to come back to with him is is the age. I believe he's already he's 22 turning 23. When you say this is one of the knocks I think people are going to come back with, what you're actually saying is I've read this exact criticism on YouTube and <laughs> and I'm sharing it with the Sonic Truth audience right now. That's really what you're saying, right? That's what's going on. The Sonic Truth family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't necessarily want to point, point, point fingers out here, Maddie. You know what I mean? <laughs> we point fingers on this show. If you want to give the name and the Twitter handle <laughs> of the zombie draft analyst, the draft Twitter drone <laughs> who banged his head on the keyboard over and over again, and it concluded in him sending a tweet that was patently ridiculous. <laughs> Please feel free. I don't have a name to to attach this to the Sony Michelle criticism. And I honestly, man. So what do they say? What do they say? The amorphous they. I might be kind of criticizing myself, man. I feel as though I really haven't had a concrete opinion on on Sony Michelle. I think people are a lot higher than me on on Sony Michelle. I've seen Sony Michelle as high as like Darby too. There's nothing not to like with Sony Michelle. Just embrace Sony Michelle 
and wait with tingling anticipation for his combine testing. Edge of our seats. Another player who does not have the requisite college production to justify top five status, but is just as intriguing as Sony Michelle is Mark Walton. Would you agree? Absolutely agreed. Mark Walton's another another smaller back man. And what I like about him the best is probably, I mean, again, it's it's his ability in space. It's the feet. I'm bringing it back a little bit to kind of Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle was getting Alvin Alvin Kamara comparisons, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's everyone's early pick for, oh, that's this year's Alvin Kamara. And, uh, and, and what I have read is that Mark Walton, Mark Walton has the ability to be this year's Alvin Kamara between his ability in space, between his pass catching Absolutely. Uh, prowess. Um, so Mark, Mark Walton, unfortunately, as you alluded to again, uh, this previous season cut short due to injury. Um, but what we do know now is that he is fully healthy and he is going to be fully healthy for the combine, uh, which is, which is big for him, man, because, uh, this is, this is a player that, um, despite the size, um, we've, we've seen flashes, uh, during his time at Miami that, I mean, legitimately this kid, had he been healthy, could have been easily with in, in that top five running back type. If Mark Walton were healthy, he would have had Ronald Jones season with more receptions. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. So I have Mark Walton and Ronald Jones very close. Rashad Penny, Ronald Jones, Mark Walton, Sony Michelle are all exceedingly close on my rankings. Like the razor thin margins between those players. So that could be totally reversed after the combine. Now at number eight, our rankings start to significantly diverge. It's just where things get messy. Because I have Royce Freeman, you have Carry On Johnson. <laughs> right? That's my favorite nickname of 2018. Carry On Johnson. K E R R Y A W N Johnson. Because at this point in the rankings, you start to include some between the tackles grinders. Or some and some smaller satellite backs. And here at slot eight, we both have between the tackles grinders. You've opted to tout Kerry and Johnson. What do you like about Johnson? So there, there's a couple things I, I really, really do like about Johnson. Number one, his size, six foot, two twelve, two fifteen. So again, has that has that build we like last season, junior year, over thirteen hundred yards, twenty-four receptions for two scores. Not bad again. It's, and this is at Auburn against SEC competition. This is, this is SEC level competition, SEC speed, all that. Um, carry on again. So move the sticks, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Net, NFL Networks. Draft. There you go. Yes, give the name and the Twitter handle of the draft analyst. What our friend DJ did was he he drew a uh, he drew an early Le'Veon Bell comparison. So oh, for me on. that's kind of that's kind of where I come on. That's kind of where I step away a little bit, right? You're better than that, Daniel Jeremiah. What I saw when I when I watched Carry Carry on Johnson, man, was he again? He runs Darren McFadden like he runs a bit a bit tall. So uh, and that's that's kind of limited him at, at times. But again, uh, the hands are there. His ability between the tackles are there. Uh, you get him in space. He is. He is agile enough to kind of to kind of work around some some defenders, despite kind of his upright running style. Um, so so for me, again, uh, it's a combination of kind of just his build, the competition level that he was coming from and uh, his simply, you know, his his ability as a receiving back. So I don't have Kerry and Johnson in my top 12, mostly because I love that nickname and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> plant your flag. 
That's right. But also, he looks strikingly similar to Jamal Williams with hands. That's what I think of when I look at Karrion Johnson. A nice between-the-tackles runner, but a guy that you can't imagine securing a full-time role in the NFL. He looks like a committee back to me. Yes, 24 receptions last year. That was very good. But he was never effective between the tackles. His yards per carry did not dip under five for one season. It was under five every season. So he's not an efficient runner at the college level, and he's not this next-generation pass catcher like some of the satellite backs we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So if you're not going to be the next Tariq Cohen and you don't have a proper bell cow profile, my enthusiasm wanes. I get more excited for a Royce Freeman. Now, I have Royce Freeman slotted in here at number eight. Because Royce Freeman is one of the most productive running backs in college football history, Ryan. 1,300 yards as a freshman, 1,800 yards as a sophomore, missed some games as a junior, came back last year, 1,475 yards, 6 yards per carry, and like Karrion Johnson, had a season with 26 receptions and another season with 23 receptions. So He's better in the passing game than Karrion Johnson, has a more impressive production profile, and he's 15 pounds heavier. So I don't understand the fascination with Karrion Johnson juxtaposed against Royce Freeman. There's not enough enthusiasm around Royce Freeman. There's way too much enthusiasm for Karrion Johnson. Ugh. I'm going to drop one more name, and i got to read you one more line that's going to be very – it's it's going to be very Matt Kelly on brand over here. Ooh. So this is from this is from Lance Zierlein, who's another NFL network draft and super respected amongst, you know, the, the quote-unquote community. Yeah, super respected, Lance Zierlein, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> The quote-unquote community, right? Super respected, of course, yes, yes. It's just so I have everyone's attention now, you know what I mean? So Lance Zierlein, you're dropping names. He writes these these draft reports every, every year, mm. covers almost every prospect. Mm. It's, it's it's crazy. So his bottom line, I'm going to read you a few sentences here. He's the new Nolan Nawarski, right? Uh, I mean, I guess. I mean, he's. I'm, I'm not sure he's that quite that level, but he is, again, he is a he is a name to know. <laughs> quite that level? Not quite that level of nonsense analysis? Everyone buys Nolan's magazines, right? I guess. I don't know. Uh, go ahead. So Lance on Johnson has an unusual build for the position with a linear frame and thin hips. Uh, Johnson runs with good burst and is adept as both an inside and outside runner, offers three down value and could become an early starter, but his frame may not be able to hold up over the long haul. NFL comparison. Ready? Here we go. This, this, is, this, is, this, is, what, this is what Lance wrote. Here we go. Tevin Coleman. Cue the loser game show sound. Okay, I need to talk to Lance Zerline. I asked him to come on the podcast, and he hasn't gotten back to me. That was three weeks ago. He's out here dropping Tevin Coleman comparisons. Now, I like Royce Freeman at eight, but there is a significant gap between the Sony Michels and Mark Waltons and the Royce Freemans and the Karrion Johnsons. This is where I would start to consider receivers in rookie drafts. If all of my competitors were highly intelligent, super rational, and knew that you draft running backs in the first round, and Barkley and Geis and Chubb and Penny and Jones and Michelle and Walton were all flying off the board in the first half of a dynasty rookie draft, at this point in the draft is when I'd consider drafting a receiver, whether it's the highest ceiling receiver, Cortland Sutton, or the highest floor receiver, DJ Moore, or James Washington. There is a significant gap between Walton and Freeman and Johnson and the other running backs we're going to talk about. 
but no one, regardless of the current talent on the Dynasty roster, oh, you own both Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell, doesn't matter. No one should be considering drafting a wide receiver in round one if any of those top seven running backs we listed are still on the board. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. You agree with that? All in on running back. All in on running back. You're all in on running back because I keep reading these dynasty mocks on Twitter, all the big dynasty sites across the board. It's dynasty football factory and dynasty happy hour and dynasty league football and dynasty trade cast and dynasty trade calculator and, and on and on and on and on and on all of them, the dynasty dorks, the dynasty dummies, the dynasty dingleberries, the dynasty dongs, but by consensus, they have wide receivers populated throughout the first round baffling they have wide receivers going before Rashad Penny before Ronald Jones before Sony Michelle before Mark Walton in some cases before Nick Chubb and amazingly in some cases even before Darius Geis yikes it makes no sense why would you draft a receiver when you can draft a running back you know is virtually guaranteed to have a major role and be a productive fantasy asset in his rookie season because none of these wide receivers can guarantee you that not one. Running backs are much lower risk, and that's very important in a dynasty context because players that are guaranteed high-volume roles and productivity when healthy in their rookie year accrue value, and those are the early-round running backs by definition. Even the first-round receivers are not guaranteed rookie-year opportunity. Look at the running backs drafted the last three years versus the wide receivers. Who were the running backs drafted in the first round the last three years, Ryan? We're talking about the Todd Gurley's of the world, the Melvin Gordon's of the world, Fournette, Elliott. Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey was there as well. All productive as rookies, right? And what's more amazing is that Melvin Gordon specifically was the least efficient running back in the NFL in his rookie season, and it didn't matter. So these early round running backs are immune from inefficiency. Their future roles are secure regardless of how well they perform as rookies. How many wide receivers can say that? List the wide receivers. This is, this, this is where it gets a little sad, right? This is apocalyptic. <laughs> you got Cooper. Amari Cooper. Kevin White. Devontae Parker. Nelson Aguilar. Brashard Perry. Who the hell is Brashard Perryman? Philip Dorsett. <laughs> Corey Coleman, who, again, I think you and I are both the same Oof. page. Corey, Corey Coleman, still believe in Corey. You got yep. Will Fuller. Hey, Will Fuller! And he had an efficient and productive first half, at least, of 2017. He was there. He was there. <laughs> who else? We got old guy Josh Doxon. Oof. We got Laquan Treadwell, who was the splash that was promised but never but never happened, right? Oh. Corey Davis. I think, I think we both agree that we both like Corey Davis. Oh, yeah. The future is bright for Corey Davis, but... Did he accrue value in his rookie year? I think not. Missed a little bit of time, so we're hoping for that for that for that sophomore bounce back here. Um, and then you got you got Mike Williams, you got John Ross. Oh, oh, oh. it's a good thing we have the fart noise sound effect here at the Sonic Truth Podcast. Oh. 
Think about it. Just think about Mike Williams and John Ross last year. What would you rather have? The wide receiver with draft capital in Mike Williams or John Ross or even Corey Davis? Or the running back with the best talent profile who landed on the best offense outside the first round? And last year, that was Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt. Who would you rather have? Pick one. Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, or Corey Davis, John Ross, Mike Williams? (laughs) (laughs) No-brainer. Here's a question. Could you trade all three of them, (laughs) Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross, right now for either of those running backs? Untouchable, right? No, right? No! That perfectly illustrates why... You should not consider drafting a wide receiver until those top seven backs we listed are off the board. And in most cases, because you're drafting against dynasty competitors who are not subscribed to the Sonic Truth podcast, you will always have one of those running backs available to you in the first round. This happened to me last year. I had the option of drafting Mike Williams or John Ross, and I refused. Instead, I was drafting Alvin Kamara. And in all those leagues, my teams made the playoffs. And when Kamara was off the board, I was still taking Marlon Mack over the available receivers. It wasn't until Marlon Mack was off the board that I finally started drafting receivers in 2017, starting with Chris Godwin, and then when Chris Godwin was off the board, Taewon Taylor. And I will be using the same tactics this season. And you're on board with this approach? Absolutely. We are both, again, lockstep as far as how we feel about 2018 class here, buddy. Lockstep. I love the lockstep. Because the running back is like real estate. It's like buying a house. It accrues value. The wide receiver depreciates. It's like a car. The moment you drive one of these wide receivers off the lot in a dynasty rookie draft, it immediately crumbles in value. So here's an idea. Don't do it. Do not do it. Walk away. You could opt to draft running back in every single round this year, and you wouldn't be wrong in doing so. Because running backs we like in our top 12 will be available throughout the draft. For example, Ido Smith is my number nine running back, and he didn't even get a combine invite. Did Ido Smith deserve a combine invite? What the hell happened? 100%. I mean, based off based off production alone, I wasn't at Mobile, but apparently, again, strong senior bowl showing. I mean... So good. You're going to look at his production during his time at at, at Southern Mississippi, man. It's just smile. So good. He's like... So good. So good. A far superior version of Tyler Irvin. And I liked Tyler Irvin coming out of San Jose State, but Ito Smith is on another plane of existence. 140 career receptions at the college level and over 4,500 rushing yards. Silly numbers. Ito Smith was like the Corey Davis of small school running backs. That's how productive he was at Southern Miss. Ito Smith can't miss. Ito Smith from Southern Miss is a can't-miss satellite back at the next level. Looking at this production, assuming he's fast and agile, he will be Tariq Cohen 2.0 in the NFL. Or like an actually good Jalen Richard. However you want to put it. (laughs) If it's between Ito Smith and 
a wide receiver not named Cortland Sutton or a first-round wide receiver or DJ Moore, I would be leaning Edo Smith. But the beauty is you don't need to invest a second-round dynasty rookie pick on Edo Smith. You'll likely be able to get him in the third and fourth round because so many dynasty leaguers obsess over draft capital. We saw my good friend Nathan Powell write on Twitter this past week, public service announcement. Oh, we love the PSAs. From the Dynasty League analysts, yes. Uh-oh. Public service announcement from Nathan Powell. Landing spot doesn't matter. All that matters is draft capital. <laughs> this coming after a year in which we saw Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt obliterate all expectations after being drafted outside the first round, largely due to landing spot. So suffice to say, I disagree with Nathan's position on landing spot versus draft capital. Now, you have a different satellite back at the number nine position. Who do you like there? I tend to lean towards Naheem Hines out of North Carolina State. Yes, love Naheem Hines. This is a kid that I actually when I when I fully when I went back and, and was throwing on his tape, I actually I actually might have slid into your DMs, bro, and I said, This is a kid that you're gonna love. Woo! You know, a wide out running back, uh, started his career at North Carolina State as a wide receiver, then obviously got the running back reps uh, to, 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 to close out his time there, man. And obviously has shown he can do it all. Um, hands aren't a question. I think he's a legit 4-3 something kid, too. He is fast. Um, a lot to like about Naheem Hines. You think he runs a 4-4 four, four flat at the combine? Yeah, I mean, I think we we, we saw our pal Fusu View talk about 4-3-7. What? 4-3-7. What? Again, Naheem Hines is one of those amalgam running backs where you take his best rushing season, over 1,100 yards as a junior, and you combine it with his 43 receptions as a sophomore, and Excellent composite production profile for Naheem Hines. He's just another Edo Smith who is essentially a pumped up Tariq Cohen. Who doesn't like the Tariq Cohen archetype at the NFL level? You know Tariq Cohen is going to be a productive PPR back for the next five years. The same can be said for Ito Smith and Naheem Hines. These are very high floor running backs because you know they will be deployed in passing situations and will easily meet that 10 fantasy points per game threshold that you're looking for in dynasty rookie drafts to establish that nice floor and ensure you're getting value in return for the picks. Now, at number 10, I have John Kelly, and then I have Naheem Hines at 11, because this is the satellite back specialist zone of my rookie running back rankings. And then at 12, I have a player named Rock Thomas. Fantastic name. What do you know about the Rock Thomas? <laughs> Rock Thomas, man, was was a legit five-star kid uh, for all those that, that believe that stars matter. Uh, 23 overall in the country. Um, so a legit, legit recruit. Uh, signed on to play at Auburn. Uh, ended up transferring out. Do you know why he transferred? Why? There were some other running backs there, I would imagine. Carry, carry on. I can't believe that Carry Yon Johnson <laughs> forced my man, Rock Thomas, to transfer. But I don't care. I like the Rock Thomas profile. I like that he was productive. I wish he caught more passes. But again, his profile looks similar to Mark Walton and Ronald Jones. And I'm expecting him to test well at the Combine. NFL scouts have been closely monitoring Rock Thomas 
who ended up playing his last two seasons at Jacksonville State. Final season, over 1,000 yards, 6.0 yards per carry, 13 touchdowns, 21 receptions. So he checks all those boxes in his final season of production at Jacksonville State. And the scouts like him, Ryan, so much so they invited him to the Combine. He essentially received Edo Smith's Combine invite. There you go. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> so if he tests well, that's a big if. I have him in the 12 slot, assuming he tests well. If he doesn't test well, just drop him out of here. He, he's not draftable in Dynasty Leagues. But if he runs a sub 4-5-0-40, if he has burst in agility, then you have to seriously consider Rock Thomas at the end of Dynasty Rookie Drafts. But you have someone else at 12, someone that most would expect me to have at 12, but I don't have him anywhere on my top 12 list. Your number 12 running back is... Man, we're not going to go a whole show and not talk about Kalen Balaj, right? Oh, Kalen Balaj, the most polarizing running back prospect in years. Kalen Balaj, another great name. This whole draft Fantastic. class is stocked with stockpiled with with exciting named players. What do you like about Kalen Balaj? Why are you high on him? Again, I'm going to bring it back to our friend talked about him before. Move the sticks, Daniel Jeremiah, bro. We're seeing. I I've read. I've read David Johnson comparisons, which again I think are super, super far fetched. Stop. Uh, yeah, you got to You got You got to You got to put production side by side right there and just stop the conversation. Let me just start with the production concerns. He's never exceeded 669 rushing yards in a college season, and he played all four years at Arizona State, just like Kristen Michael played all four years at Texas A&M and never posted one productive season and couldn't manage one productive season while sharing a backfield with sub NFL caliber talents. So that's the big negative. Mm -hmm. What are the positives on the Kalen Balage profile? We we know right now that he's going to test. He's in a he's he's, he's going to jump out of the gym. Dude is legit a legit athlete, which is where he kind of gets the David Johnson looks again. As far as fetches they are sticking with the box score looks here. He's an athleticism monster. So his speed score is going to be 99th percentile. Freak because he's six three two. 30. In that way, he's comparable to Derrick Henry in the size-adjusted athleticism department. Crazy. Crazy. 2016, 44 receptions. This dude, Kalen Balajman, to me, across the wideouts, the running backs, tight ends, pass catch, he might have the best hands in class. He is he is natural as hell. Um, and again, there are there are roles for those kind of players. Um, there there was talk after the Senior Bowl. He's a giant satellite back. Mm -hmm. I've never seen a player like him. We do look at the player's best college season as the best indicator of his NFL upside, and the 44 receptions in his junior season were noteworthy. Mm -hmm. I'm impressed. I like Kalen Balash. If Kalen Balash is available in the fourth round of a dynasty rookie draft, you're damn right I'm going to be pushing the button on him. But how is it that in his final season, he only managed 20 receptions? That is a legitimate question. Mm -hmm. Agree. What the fuck happened, Ryan? <laughs> Those production questions as you... As you I mean, that's the question. Me. When you look at Kalen Balash, the natural question is, what the fuck happened? <laughs> no one knows. That should be the name of the show. Kalen Balaj, what the fuck? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it, man. Put me down. Put me down for that one. Put him down for that one. You and I feel the same way about these kind of players. You know what I mean? We we like the size. We like the speed. This kid is an athlete. I mean, you you look at him and you and you just figure if if, if you didn't look at the box score, um, you just figure this this kid's gonna play on Sundays, no question about it. 
but then again, you find your way to the box score and you realize that this kid, for whatever reason, just was not a factor in four years. It's not even like he kind of disappeared for a season. He disappeared for four years. I had the same questions about Terrell Watson coming out of Azusa Pacific. How can this guy not be an NFL star? given his size-adjusted athleticism, and it just never happened for him. But Terrell Watson also was not a quality pass catcher. So Kalen Balaj is like Terrell Watson, if Terrell Watson were an exceptional receiver, as well as an incompetent between-the-tackles runner. It's like if you shot Theo Riddick with one of those particle acceleration ray guns and... He gained 30 pounds instantly. It's crazy. At the Senior Bowl, man, there's a lot of buzz that scouts, analysts, fans alike, everyone wanted, everyone wants this kid to switch to wideout full-time. Stop. Uh, maybe maybe that is his jump in the NFL, man. I, I personally want him out of the backfield, man. Uh, he just has too much upside. I mean, again, production production numbers are 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 noteworthy there there is a concern there uh but man this kid legit he's he's gonna bounce out of the gym and his, his upside is in my opinion as high as anybody's in this class so he could I am play still tight attracted. end yeah he could built. be a move tight end in fact you might see kalen balage at wing you can play him at h-back that may be his future in the nfl and for that reason i don't think his upside in fantasy is as high as most people think because that's a low volume role at the NFL level. That's my concern with Kalen Balage is he finds himself in a niche role in the NFL. And there are less expensive options that I prefer if I'm drafting a player who's going to be playing that particular role. Jalen Samuel comes to mind. Because Jalen Samuel is also over 225 pounds and is a well above average athlete. We know is going to test in the upper percentiles across most athleticism metrics. And he's an excellent receiver. And he's a guy you can get at the very end of a rookie draft when Kalen Balazs is long gone. So when I'm looking at the opportunity cost between Balazs and Jalen Samuel. I'll take Samuel because the differential between the two players is slight but Kalen Balaj will be drafted two rounds earlier. So for me, that just doesn't make sense. So drafting Kalen Balaj just won't make sense. I'll end up rostering a lot more Jalen Samuel. You like Jalen Samuel? I do. I do. He's a, uh, he, he, he got the combine invite. He's actually scheduled to run with the tight ends, which is really kind of more or less what he played at North Carolina State. That's just wrong. He's a running back. And we saw him flash a little bit down in uh, down in Alabama at the at, at the Senior Bowl. Um, c- kind of a kid again that could really do it all. Whether he's a back, uh, whether he's a back wideout tight end, he's the tight end version of Ty Montgomery. There you go. I like it. I can dig it. I think the question that that a lot of us are going to ask, or at least I find myself asking, is you know does he does he stand out in any one area? Uh, to me, I I would lean on him as a running back. But again, as we've seen just with the combine coming out of the corner. The league, for the most part, views him as a tight end. So it's it's going to be interesting. It's bizarre. Why does the league view him as a tight end, but not Kalen Balaj as a tight end? I have no idea what these player personnel people are thinking. But if you think through this running back class and how it's going to displace the incumbent running backs in the NFL, we've talked about 15 running backs that we like to fill significant roles in the NFL in 2018. And there's going to be another five running backs that emerge after the combine. You know it. Happens every year. So understanding that, I would strongly recommend against acquiring incumbent running backs 
outside those sitting at the very top of the sport and the young ascending running backs that you know are guaranteed roles in 2018. You have Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott. They're at the top of the sport. Melvin Gordon is very likely safe, as is Devontae Freeman. You have these ascending second and third year players, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Derrick Henry. And you could add Dalvin Cook to that list. That's the list. That's the list of players at the running back position that you should be acquiring in dynasty leagues before the NFL draft. And you could also add Jarek McKinnon to the list because the argument is, well, as long as Jarek McKinnon can get away from Dalvin Cook and be signed by a team that wants to increase his role, well, Jarek McKinnon's value could only go up. So there's a one-off argument to be made to acquire Jarek McKinnon. And you could argue that the best satellite backs in the NFL have established roles and can be safely traded for. That would be Chris Thompson. Theo Riddick, and Tariq Cohen. So in total, fantasy gamers can only consider acquiring a little over 10 running backs between now and the NFL draft. Acquiring any other running back makes no sense because they are all at risk of having their roles significantly reduced by free agent signings and likely more impactful, the influx of talent from this 2018 running back class. I think that that second and third year group is is super interesting. Um, I know a lot of people are kind of down on someone like Joe Mixon, but again, um, in that Cincinnati offense, we know that at the end of the day, he is the option. Um, so amongst those other names, Kamara, we know about. They invested a second round pick in Joe Mixon last season. You know the Cincinnati Bengals are one of the few teams that won't be acquiring a running back with high round draft capital this offseason. There are less teams with established running backs with roles you can trust than there are teams on the other side of that ledger. It's really uncharted territory for dynasty leagues. Never before have we stared down the barrel of such roster upheaval than we are right now looking at the NFL running back landscape right now. So of all the running backs that you should not be trading for with the lowest floors, the trapdoor running backs, of those running backs, who is the scariest? I got to admit, bro, I had this name put into the kind of the the what the what's next category last night and then you uh you you kind of grabbed me by the shoulder and kind of and kind of shook some sense to me, man. Kenyon Drake is is a, is a kid that um, is going to get a lot a lot of buzz given kind of the way he he flashed here in their last season. But uh, I think to to your point, as you'll probably expand on, bro, it's uh it's it's kind of a risky proposition. Kind of Ryan, kind of risky. I've never seen an off season with a riskier dynasty asset than Kenyon Drake. I've never seen an offseason with a riskier dynasty asset than Kenyon Drake. I decided to go out on that. I like that, man.
I've lost my voice. So this, this was fun, bro. Matt, again, I appreciate you, brother. It was a good time. The moment you drive one of these wide receivers off the lot in a dynasty rookie draft, it immediately crumbles in value. So here's an idea. Don't do it. Do not do it. McKinnon, I think he gets three down work. They're going to put him in a committee. What if he goes to a team that drafts Karrion Johnson? And what's it, what if he goes to a team that drafts Royce Freeman? See, think about it. What if he goes to a team that drafts Sonny Michelle? I mean, what if he goes to a team? I mean, it's just like the, a game of musical chairs and you run out of chairs. And he hasn't been in a lead back role. You have to have a, a coach thinking out of the box. I mean, maybe he goes to Philadelphia, but they seem to like the committee approach. When they look at someone like Jet McKinnon, it's, it's strictly a size thing. Yeah, he's smaller and he's not LaShawn McCoy. So if he's smaller and he's not LaShawn McCoy, whether it's Duke Johnson or whether it's Jarek McKinnon, he's been bucketed already. It's over. He's been bucketed. He's got the, the branding on him already. Everyone knows. They're not creative thinkers in the NFL. All industries in the world, in every country, even dictator regimes, there are industries in North Korea that have more collective creative thinking than the National Football League. Free Jarek. Let's go. We got to get it going right now. More innovative in countries where none of the people are free, which is why so few NFL players are ever freed. Mr. Matt Kelly, Matt. What's the word, bro? What's going on? You're a bench for the entire game for missing a curfew. You gotta rob a bank. And you know that Tom Brady is consumed with smoldering rage right now. Wherever he is right now, he is sullen and consumed with smoldering rage. Flippant arrogance by an NFL head coach that has jumped the shark. Fuck Bill Belichick. Go listen to the opening minute and a half of the Mark Mosier show. Those are the best, tightest clips from me and Nate last year. Yeah, I, I, I ran those back a couple times. I'm, I'm very partial to my one rant where I'm like, If you did any prep, if you listened to the interview with John Wertheim, if you looked at the show sheet once, you would know all these things. The act of getting tackled as a positive trait. The fuck? What kind of opposite world are these draft zombies living in? That's what their thumbs are gonna type, and they're gonna type all this. They're gonna hit tweet, and they're gonna and they're gonna and they're gonna see what happens. Not 24, not 34, not 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 44, 54 receptions. Gimme, 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 gimme. Gimme, 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 gimme. 8.1 yards per carry. <laughs> gimme, 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 gimme. Three running backs in the top 10 of the NFL draft this season, including Saquon Barkley possibly going at number one. Gimme, 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 gimme. So you may think at this point, oh, I might be able to get Nick Chubb in the late first round of my rookie draft. <laughs> For now, yes, if your rookie draft is before the combine. Nick Chubb is legitimately an alien, man. Gimme, 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 gimme. So Sigmund Bloom needs to get the fuck out of here with that comparison. I'm, I'm, I'm over here 
deleting John Kelly's name out already, Matt. What does Sigmund Bloom think of Ronald Jones? Carry on, Johnson. K-E-R-R-Y-A-W-N Johnson. I don't have Carrion Johnson in my top 12, mostly because I love that nickname and I'm sticking to it. Carry on. Johnson. Ugh. All in our running back. 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 Because none of these wide receivers can guarantee you that. Not one. Oh. Ido Smith can't miss. Ido Smith from Southern Miss is a can't miss satellite back at the next level. Gimme, 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 gimme. All that matters is draft capital. <laughs> the Rock Thomas. Gimme, 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 gimme. I mean, that's the question when you look at Kalen Balaj. The natural question is, what the fuck happened? That should be the name of the show. Kalen Balaj, what the fuck? Carry on. Johnson.